Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to our broadcast audience, and welcome to the building. I, to hear you guys singing has just uh, lifted my heart this morning already, and uh, trust it has yours. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to a book you don't see often, the book of Philemon. If you're looking it up on a Bible app or uh, like BibleGateway.com or something, it starts with a P-H-I-L... E-M-O-N, Philemon, one chapter, so it's, it's just like Philemon 1 or 2, it's, it's the verses. We live in an obviously difficult time in America especially, in many ways. One of the ways in which it's difficult obviously is relationships. covid Racial injustice, protests, politics have all created or uh, increased tensions as if we didn't already have enough struggle in relationships, marriages, work relationships, church, neighborhood, wherever. Our study in this little book of Philemon today isn't going to address all of our societal problems, but it certainly does address personal relationships in the body of Christ. And it gives us hope through the most fundamental principle by which God relates to us. It gives us hope through the principle of grace. Because grace will address what no argument can ever solve. And so look for grace notes throughout this important little book. The reason we are studying Philemon is it's really kind of necessary to fully understand the book even that we've just completed. We've completed the book of Colossians, and the connection is this, that both the book of Colossians and this little letter to an individual named Philemon were written by the Apostle Paul at the same time from his imprisonment in Rome, Rome for the cause of Christ and were delivered at the same time to the same destination. As we will see, Philemon is the host of the church in Colossae. So the opening three verses, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he first of all introduces the, the people, the pertinent uh, audience and the senders. First of all, he pairs himself as he did with uh, the book of Colossians. It's Paul and Timothy, though, though Paul is the inspired author. He Timothy was, was like his, his, his right-hand man whenever possible. They weren't always together. But if there was a closest associate of Paul, it was probably Timothy in some of the years of, of uh, ongoing church growth and development, if you will. And so it's almost like when Paul writes, he's like, these are our thoughts. He was a, he was a team kind of a guy. Writing to Philemon, who's a dear friend, a dear friend he probably met, this is conjecture somewhat, in Ephesus, Philemon, being from Colossae, would have been most likely to have run into Paul during his two-year Ephesian 
ministry, for him to be considered a dear friend and co-worker. And then there's mention of Aphia, our sister, it's a feminine, it's a a woman's name, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your home. The best guess is that these three individuals constituted a household, uh, Philemon married to Aphia and an adult son, Archippus, who is also a significant uh, part of the church ministry. You may recall Archippus from our study last week, Uh, he was in that list of greetings, at the end of Colossians, the one that Paul kind of uh, confronted and said, tell Archippus to make sure to fulfill or complete his ministry. And so you might think he's a little bit down on on Archippus, but here we see that actually he really appreciates him, and, and he's valued, he says, as a fellow soldier. So that's where the letter is going, really to the same church that met in a house, because every church met in a house, essentially. Uh, There were no church buildings set aside for purpose like ours until about the third century. And so people who had a little bit larger house would tend to be the hosts or hostesses of the the church. Uh, Houses were often one story unless you were a little wealthier, then you built a second story. And if you're a little wealthier yet, you might even have a third story. And architecturally, as you build upwards, there'd be less need for walls and support. And so the second, or if you had it, third floor would be open more for entertaining or ideal for a church to meet. Verse 3 is is a verse that we can kind of skip over too many times when we read something that Paul wrote because every one of his 13 letters starts with essentially this verse. That doesn't lessen its importance, it increases our understanding of its importance. It is the foundation of everything that Paul would write when he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the principles that completely absorbed the mind and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. The sense of God's grace to us from the cross. So he's always picturing the cross. When he says grace... He means undeserved benefit to us from God who is holy and we who are sinful. So there's always a sense of the humility. The position we are in is a position of humility because we're sinners and God is holy. But then he couples grace with peace. And the result of his grace to us, for those who believe in Christ, is that we now have peace with God through Christ. These are vital principles especially with what he's about to address in Philemon. Because grace and peace set the stage for how two people in the body of Christ can have a love and respect for one another even when the relationship gets difficult for whatever reason. Because if you are thinking of God's grace for you, In your need for his grace, you are thinking of your sin in light of his holiness, and when you have two people thinking and absorbed with the grace of God, suddenly you can get along because you are both in a position of humility. Grace is always paired with humility. Have you been conscious of your need for grace this past week on some continual basis, God's grace? Because the more you are conscious of the grace of God for you, you will be seeing anybody that you feel critical of or you feel like judging, 
you will see them differently. It transforms your, your whole set of spiritual glasses if you see yourself in a place of humility and in the need of God's grace. If you do not focus on the grace of God, you will tend to live defensively and self-righteously. Because then we feel superior to others. The cross completely humbles our sense of those things. I've got a little um, note on my desk through the years. I'll just show it to you. I took a picture of it. I've shared it here before, I think. The common denominator in every relationship problem I have is me. Any argument there? (laughs) So there's always something going on in us. And what we tend to do in relationships is accuse and defend because we are forgetting this, or to put it biblically, 1 John 1, 8-9, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Then that's followed by the refreshing verse, but if we confess our sin, tell God, yeah, I'm, I've got sin in this thing too. He is faithful and he's just to forgive us. So it totally transforms the way we see things. So let's make sure that we understand the foundation to this relational issue in Philemon. Now, what happened? Here's a little summary so that the book will make a little more sense. Philemon is the host of the church. He is a slave owner, and he had a slave named Onesimus, who sometime previous, months or perhaps a couple of years, ran away. And so he's on the run, and somehow, in God's providence, Onesimus ends up in Rome, 12, 1,300 miles away, and in God's providence, runs into Paul, who's actually under house arrest, awaiting trial, and Paul leads him to faith in Christ. If you don't see God putting this picture together, then you aren't seeing it. And he comes to faith in Christ, and he begins to help and serve Paul as he's growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ, but now... Paul has a tricky situation. What do I do with Onesimus? Legally, he belongs back with his master, Philemon, who Paul knows. And so he's got two friendships, and these two people have a conflict between each other. What do I do? Do I keep him or do I send him? Well, we, we know what's actually going to happen. He's going to send him. That's in verse 12 a little later. Now, I know that as I describe this, one thing that was a little bit of a sticking point for all of us is, if this is new to you, is, you mean Philemon was a slave owner? Why did, why did a Christian own a slave, and why doesn't um, Paul just condemn slavery? And in a way, as we'll see, he does. And he'll show how Philemon and Onesimus in this difficult relationship will transcend the evil system of slavery that they were in because of their equality in the body of Christ. It's estimated that maybe a third of the population in the Roman Empire at this time were slaves. It it was the the workforce. It's it's how things were. And and it's it's impossible without time travel to really picture that you were either mostly an owner or you were owned. I mean, those are really the choices that you had. Um, Slaves were not distinguished by race or skin color as we might have been accustomed historically in the United States uh, with the slavery issue. There was no difference in how they looked. You became a slave either through uh, being a prisoner of war, which 
historically had taken place, or sometimes people in financial desperation will sell themselves or their children into slavery. There was also a wide uh, spectrum of how slaves were treated. Some were indeed very badly treated, working in the salt mines with harsh masters who literally worked them to death. On the other hand, there were many slaves or indentured servants that were actually like respected, loved, like members of the family, like a favorite employee if you have a small family business or something like that. And Paul was addressing that in this very city in the book of Colossians that we studied earlier at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 where he said to Christian owners, treat your, ma- your, your, your slaves fair, do what's fair and do what's right. And we're going to assume that Philemon was at least that kind of a man. Now to this situation, verse 12 tells us that Paul did decide to send him back. <clears throat> so if you can picture this letter arriving... Onesimus is part of the two or three people that are arriving in Colossae with the letter of Colossians and the letter of Philemon. Philemon may have just seen Onesimus for the first time in a couple of years, the guy, the guy who ran away from him. He may have been standing there. Maybe he stayed back in the village square to see how this played out. We don't know. But, but there is every reason that Philemon, realizing that Onesimus was in town, would have been angry. You cheated me. It's likely some of the, the implications later that, that he, Onesimus may have stolen something from him or in some other way wronged him, even besides running away. We don't know. And so it's a pretty awkward moment for Philemon. It's one of those times where suddenly some injustice comes sweeping over you and the old flesh comes out, right? Just Ah, that person, you, you see him someplace, and all those feelings come back. And can you see how important it is that Philemon is first reading, You're my dear friend, grace to you, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul proceeds, as he enters the body of the letter, to model what grace looks like in relationships with this important principle affirmation, showing gracious affirmation. The principle to be thinking about is that we need to be dispensing affirmation generously. That's a a way in which God's grace flows right through us into our relationships. I always thank my God, verse 4, as I remember you. Philemon in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love, Philemon, has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. At this point, it is is all affirmation. You're you're a believer. I I know about your faith in the Lord Jesus, verse 4, and your love for the saints, referencing, I believe, the fact that you and your wife and your son, you're, you're the gracious hosts of the church here. You've been generous with what God has given you. So he doesn't immediately confront Philemon with Philemon's need to forgive, to deal with his bitterness, to deal with his attitude, to deal with the past. He, first of all, affirms him generously. There's something about affirmation that just 
changes the tone of what we say to people. Changes the heart of the person we're talking to. Paul says, I've been praying for you, and, and it's, it's, it's basically I've been praying that God would just keep working in your life. Verse 6, my translation, may, it, it's, a, it's a difficult verse to fully understand how Paul is using some of these terms, and so yours may read somewhat differently. Mine uh, refers to be active in sharing your faith. That's what he, It's probably not talking about sharing your faith like we talk about evangelism, tell people the gospel. That'd be a good thing to say. That's probably not what he's saying. The word is partnership or fellowship. If you've, maybe you've heard this term in some kind of Bible study at some point, the term koinonia, which describes our <coughs> relationships in the body of Christ. Paul could be using it like partnership. You've been my partner one-on-one. It's you and me. More likely, I think, he's talking about, I know about your fellowship. You appreciate the fellowship of the believer And so maybe the New American Standard Version, I'll just read it, verse 6, in case you have that or can can understand this. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing in you uh, for Christ's sake. So I think the idea is this. Onesimus, I'm praying that you will act in a way that's best for the fellowship as you think about this one relationship, the difficult one. I'm praying that, that you, you who I know believe in the fellowship of the believer will now act in harmony with the fellowship of the believer with this difficulty that you're going to have with Onesimus coming back. Because we can believe in fellowship and say, oh, this is so wonderful. And when you come to faith in Christ or you first become part of a, a church, I'm going to be a part of this church and I got this friend and people care or whatever. And fellowship is a great concept until... We run into a disagreement, we run into a conflict of some kind, and then, then our fellowship is tested. Actually, that's when our fellowship becomes the most important. And then we realize that that fellowship relationship has to govern the way we handle our problem. I don't know what tests your fellowship. I don't know what makes you angry, but for, for Philemon, I'm pretty sure it's that he got ripped off by Onesimus running away in some way. The final affirmation is verse 7. Your love gives me great joy and encouragement. Philemon, you've been a person, I, I, when I think about you, you have always brought me joy. You make me happy. And, and we, we have to realize that somehow this, this is preparing the way for the difficult conversation that's ahead. So, dispense affirmation generously. This is not a technique. This is not manipulation. This is a matter of backing off of the immediate issue of hurt, conflict, offense, and saying there is a bigger thing here, and that is our relationship in the body of Christ. This is more important. How different would your relationships be if you approached them intentionally with affirmation? Made it a pattern, not not an agenda, but a pattern. How much better do you work for bosses who affirm generously? So if you're a boss, you know, think about it. How much difference does it make in parenting when there is generous affirmation? Now in parenting, it's correcting all the time. How do you you raise a child without saying, no, we can't do that. No, you can't do that. So we, we need to have generous affirmation alongside that. 
marriage. You married each other because you appreciated something about each other, right? I mean, you affirmed each other, so that needs to become the ongoing pattern of affirming, and and it transforms the way we see those relationships. Affirmation is useless if it's silent. In other words, you really have to say it verbally, you have to write it down, you have to note something. Affirmation, make it a principle. I would suggest, I guess, if you want an assignment this week, affirm three people verbally this week. If you're married, that's one. Don't skip that one. And find two others that you will write a note or say something specific affirmation. From gracious affirmation, Paul goes to now making his appeal about the relationship, about the hard thing. A gracious appeal, and the principle will be, seek true reconciliation based on our true unity in Christ. Therefore, although in Christ, verse 8, although in Christ I could be bold and order you Finally, meant to do what you ought to do. Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. See how grace is, is different? I then as Paul, an old man or elder, and now as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Paul had unique apostolic authority. He could order people to do things. Uh, Unique to the apostolic age, Paul was one of those who received direct revelation from God. He said, I could command you to do this, but I'm not. I'm asking. Add to that that I'm I'm your elder. That That had weight then in the church and the family of God. And I'm a prisoner. There's a degree of obligation because of my suffering for Christ, I think, is implied. But what I am saying is for love's sake. I am having this conversation because I truly love you. I'm not just trying to win. Relationships rise or fall on motives. So repairing relationships will rise and fall on that as well. So when you hit a relational snag, what is driving you? Winning an argument rarely rarely draws you close. You know, the, honey, I've just proved I'm right, and you're a horrible person. Don't you love me more now because you know how superior I am to you? (laughs) If you can't confront in love, don't confront. Onesimus, he's the problem, Philemon, I know it. I want you to know, I stand with him. Uh, He became my son during this time I was in chains, and become a son is a way of saying in the body of Christ, I had the privilege of leading him to understand and put his faith in Christ. God providentially guided him here for that reason, I'm sure. And he was useless to you before. This could just be the fact that He ran away, so he's no good to you during that time. Or it could mean that 
Onesimus, as part of telling Paul his story, said, I was a horrible worker for Philemon. I mean, I was resisting, I was undermining, I was doing everything I can, I could, to, to make life difficult for Philemon. He could have confessed that as part of his past. But now Paul says, Philemon, when he gets back to you, you're going to see a changed man. You're going to see how different he is. Just watch him work. And you will know that he's part of the body of Christ now. (laughs) Wouldn't it be good if everybody we worked for had that observation? That this is something beyond just work ethic or somebody who's trying to get the next position. This person is working, as Colossians 3.23 said, heartily as unto the Lord and not for men. The, uh, the appeal continues then in verse 12. Uh, Philemon, this is your decision. Remember he said, I'm, I'm not ordering you. This is, this is an appeal out of love. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. In other words, you're not able to help me, but this guy actually has. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor, or the word is goodness, you do will be spontaneous and not forced. You see how he's appealing to a grace motivation. Perhaps the reason, Philemon, he, Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good no longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So that's the, that's the impact of grace. I want, I'm, I'm inviting you to make a decision to accept him back. So then verse 17 captures the, 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 the cell, if you will. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Back in verse 12, he's my heart. I love this guy, Philemon. I respect him because the way he is working for me. So, so here's the situation, Philemon. I respect and love you, verses 4 through 7. Now you know that I respect and love Onesimus. And you are not going to drive any kind of a wedge between us. I respect you both. I'd like to have kept him, but it's your decision. I understand the culture we are in. I understand the situation of how work happens in, 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 our, in, our, in our society. So I'm asking, not demanding. Grace-oriented people ask instead of demand. It's a pattern from the person of God all the way to us because Have you ever noticed how gracious God is? He doesn't enforce obedience immediately. He could pull, if anybody could pull rank, God could. Notice how much evil he lets us get by with. Lightning lightning should strike us. No, it doesn't. Lightning should strike them. It doesn't. God is a gentleman. 
gracious. The Holy Spirit urges and works within us. But he lets us go our own way. Will there be consequences? Oh, yeah, natural consequences. You keep, you keep pulling the cat's tail. <laughs> You're going to get scratched. And God in his love disciplines us. But he's gracious. And so in this grace orientation, Paul says to Philemon, I don't want to do anything without your consent, verse 14. So it would be, if you do a favor, if you do something good here, it's going to be because it came from your heart. What's he talking about? I don't think he's talking only about forgiving. I believe he's saying, it's kind of a subtle way of saying, Philemon, you could send them back to me. He's already given all the hints I wish I could have kept him here. So now, how about you decide to do that? Because under Roman law, you could indeed free your slave. And you could write it out and make it official. And I believe that is actually what Paul is asking Philemon to do. Free him so that he can come back and serve me. But I'm not forcing you to do that. That has to, that has to come from you. And then verse 15 Notice how Paul references again, very subtly, the providence of God. Perhaps, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while, he ran away, was that you could have him back for good, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ, right? So do you see, Philemon, that what was a bad thing for you, you lost your slave, can be a good thing? And so what you see as this conflict in the emotions you're dealing with, seeing Onesimus standing there, maybe handing you the letter for all we know, is not to disturb and make things worse. It's to make things better because in God's providence through grace, he uses everything and every conflict to actually transform us and make us more like him. Some of you may think of uh, the story of Joseph in Genesis 50 where after his brothers had sold him to slavery and all the evil they had meant for him, and then he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, and there's this great reunion eventually. And chapter 50, verse 20 of Genesis, Joseph says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Philemon, this is a bad situation. You've been hurt financially. And Onesimus, he's scared of you. He's scared of the legal ramifications of this. But God's doing a good thing. And the good thing is something far bigger than whatever you lost and whatever he feels, the good thing is that you can now be united in the body of Christ on an equal basis. Brothers in the Lord. I think pertinent to our day is this fact that the church is where race and status and economic levels and personality quirks, abilities and disabilities. The church is where those are eradicated. And here's why. Because it is under the authority of God we realize the value of human life is because we are made in the image of God, first of all. 
We are made in the image of God. It is why we believe in the sanctity of human life. Preborn. It's why we believe in the sanctity of human life for the elderly. And it's why we believe in the sanctity of life and the equality in the, in the, in, in the image of God in the church for everybody and all of our biases that we hold, knowing or unknowing, can be addressed by the image of God. Now we can even go, as believers, a huge step deeper because in the body of Christ now, it's not only that we're in the image of God, that's something that should be a principle throughout society, but in the body of Christ, we are understanding, we all sit at the level ground at the foot of the cross needing his grace. And that, Philemon, is what I want for you and for Onesimus. So as you, as you think about issues of, of, of unity or reconciliation, personal or societal, or, or just through recent conflicts that you, you were all reading about, to just ask ourselves, am I going more than skin deep? More than party deep, more than policy deep, am I going Jesus deep into understanding reconciliation? That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Because there are really only two kinds of people in the world, believers and unbelievers. We are to love those who are at this point unsaved, just as God so loved the world and gave his only son. Very clear. We have to love everyone, part of the world, like God loved and gave his son. And to help them understand God's love for them, that they would put their faith in Christ. And then, we obviously must love those in the body of Christ, loving the saved and the unsaved. What Paul says, that he is now a dear, he's dear to me, even dearer to you, because you have this relationship. And so will you see the providence of God in this conflict? Will you see that this is a test for you to practice humility? Grace is always paired with humility. Because if we see ourselves in need of grace, it humbles us, and it, that's why it transforms our relationships. Onesimus need, needed to humble himself and overcome his fears and return to Colossae, to Philemon. Philemon needed to humble himself and forgive what was a true injustice done against him. But that's what grace does. It humbles us. So Philemon, please, put on different glasses. Look at, look at yourself through the eyes of the cross. Self-righteousness evaporates at the cross. That man you're angry with is your dear brother. So the final appeal is verse 17. So, if you consider me a partner, and they were. They both cared about the cause of Christ equally. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. The term welcome does not mean, okay, I'll accept you. Like, you know, hug your sister, say you're sorry. <laughs> it's a term for hospitality. It's like, bring him into your home. Full acceptance. 
He's not going to be there, but you probably don't want to look at him. It's not you're going to be there, but, but uh, you're trying to avoid him. You go to the different service, you know. No, welcome him. Gracious affirmation, gracious appeal. And then Paul follows it with a gracious assurance. Verse 18, if he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. It suggests that scenario that Paul had led Philemon to faith in Christ, maybe in Ephesus. You owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. (laughs) I think the even more means not only will you accept him relationally, but you'll free him and send him back to me. It starts with the offer to pay debt. There's been some kind of financial loss to Philemon. Difficult relationships usually have some difficult ramifications, some abiding hurt or loss. And it can't all be fixed. Paul says, charge it to me. I think he was genuine, though I'm pretty sure Philemon didn't take him up on it. It's been noted that of the 13 letters that Paul wrote, Philemon is the only one where Paul does not specifically address Christ's death on the cross for our sins. But this is a personal letter, and I think here is where he is clearly illustrating the impact of the cross because Paul is saying, I will pay the debt of another. That's what Christ did. I will pay the debt of another. When you forgive, it means you are going to relinquish in some way true justice. Because there are hurts and losses that cannot be fully paid. Now, if it's simply money, you could say, I can pay that restitution, but you can't pay back the hurt that it feels to have your house robbed. So to forgive means that in some way you are going to have to absorb a loss, and that's what Paul is offering, because that's what Jesus offered. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. These aren't just principles. This is based on the cross. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. He absorbed the loss for you. And Paul says, that's the reason why we will do the same. Uh, Some of you have studied in some of the SALT books, Seven Areas of Life Training. Uh, Us pastors, we've used it in some personal studies and so forth as well. In the section on uh, forgiveness, you find this statement that kind of always, when I first read it, going, really? True forgiveness is choosing to accept the blood of Jesus as the full payment for what your offender did. The, the injustice of that is maybe the first thing that strikes us. To accept 
Christ's blood for somebody else. Um, Here's the thing. Justice, or the pursuit of justice, does not free us. Only forgiveness frees us, and forgiveness is certainly a process because in our humanity, this will keep coming back to us. But it is as we begin to recognize, I am the recipient of the cross's benefits, and so that benefit was also sufficient whether accepted or not, was sufficient for the sin of my offender. It will be the offender's choice whether they will seek the spiritual freedom, the, you could say, eternal judicial freedom that the cross brings, because they may or may not believe in Christ, they may or may not uh, walk with Christ. That burden is on them, but this is a way in which we can progressively unload the burden of our own bitterness. I'll pay a debt that I did not owe, because Christ did. And then verses 19 to 20, 20 and 21, Paul illustrates not only the principle of forgiveness, but also the principle of assuming the best in a fellow believer. Assuming the best. I am confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Paul hadn't attacked Philemon. He had appealed to him. He hadn't accused him. He had assumed that he would do the right thing. There's a tremendous power that comes by assuming the best in something. There's a tremendous power that I think even begins to work in the other person when we believe the best about them. When you give someone the benefit of the doubt, in the body of Christ in particular... It actually energizes, I think, the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And one way we know that is because when you assume the worst, you certainly bring out the flesh in the other person. When you you communicate accusation, it'll always bring out the worst. So when you communicate believing the best, giving the benefit of the doubt, it actually allows the Holy Spirit a freedom to function. I think that's part of what Paul was saying In the love chapter statement, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There's this this patient waiting for for God to work in the other person. Paul closes with some final notes. One thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. This is obviously a detail, but it tells you something. That, that Paul is assured the friendship is intact. Noth- nothing's going to change. When I finally get to Colossae, and we know from Colossians 2, he, I think it's the beginning of chapter 2, he'd never actually been there yet, but when I get there, I'm staying with you, Philemon. I'm expecting our friendship to be, to be fine. And I expect to be released from prison. You've been praying that I would. He said, I think I will. And he did. He was released from that first imprisonment. Then he has some notes, verse 23 and verse 24, from the same individuals that we studied these past couple of weeks, uh, because they were also, these are are parallel letters. And he concludes, verse 25, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So it's like grace bookends this, this amazing little letter of reconciliation. Grace and peace from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace 
be with your spirit because Philemon, if there's going to be progress in this relationship, it's going to take a lot of grace. Did Philemon forgive Onesimus? Did he free him? We aren't told. It doesn't say. But something tells me that we would not have this book in our Bible if Philemon hadn't followed through. And I love a little possible story. Uh, It's a piece of of history written within 100 years of this by one of the Christian writers, respected Christian writers of the day, that describes the name of the Bishop of Ephesus, Onesimus. We don't know it was him. Could be like there was Jacobs everywhere, but it could have been. I like to think that Philemon not only forgave, but freed him. And that God used him in a powerful way as a freed slave to become a leader of the church. Because grace does amazing things, really does. Let's pray. Father, we just find ourselves always at the foot of the cross needing your grace and your forgiveness. We are flawed. And so help us to think about each situation, societal or personal, in terms of a very willing heart of acknowledging our own sin and sinful bents. And then, Lord, as we recognize our need for your grace, may we be generous in dispensing it to everyone, every need, every situation, every viewpoint we hold in Jesus' name. And God's people said,